here today to continue in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about patience today. And uh, I know I, uh, I've got a lot of comments this week on the subject. Some people said, well, I'm not even coming. And uh, I said, nah, show up. And I just want to say that there is nobody more qualified to talk about patience than a Cleveland Browns fan. Amen. So, <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, for the Cactus Campus and Mountain Valley and Venue and Chapel joining us, they were just razzing me uh, incredibly during the uh, announcement times of being a Cleveland Browns fan. Neil was. And I've said for years, hey, I know how to lose well. I know how to be faithful. And uh, I know how to have character because I'm from Cleveland. And, uh, and I am. It was really a true story. Funny, in the, um, in the Cleveland Plain Dealer a few uh, months ago, there was a, a story about a Cleveland fan who actually put in his will, some of you might have heard this, that uh, at his funeral and at his burial site, uh, he wants six Cleveland Browns to be his pallbearers. And when they asked him why, he said, well, I, just, I want six active Browns there when I die, lowering me into the ground because um, I figured that at my funeral, one last time, the Cleveland Browns can let me down. <laughs> I thought that was great. And uh, just so you know, it goes deep in my roots. My dad was born in Peoria, Illinois, and only you baseball fans will get this, but he has been a Cubs fan, okay, all of his life. And he has said all along, yep, he said all along, you know, someday the Cubs are going to win the pennant, and he's now 82, and he's giving up hope. And so uh, I'm only 52. I still have great hope that there are two teams that have never gone to a Super Bowl, and, and let alone one, and that's Cleveland and Detroit. And uh, yeah, Detroit, there you go. And so I, uh, I'm hoping, hoping that someday both teams will get there. Uh, Cleveland, Neil accused me of not rooting for other teams. I do. Uh, my, my favorite team is Cleveland. My second favorite team is who's ever playing Pittsburgh. So I do have uh, favorite teams as well. And, uh, and, and I never thought I'd root for Denver, but uh, I like Peyton Manning. So enough said on that stupid stuff. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, God and patience and you. And so let's pray right now. Father, uh, we do gather as the church here to uh, focus on your son Christ and to focus on your word. And Lord, maybe even learn some things today that we didn't know when we walked in. So God, help us in our quest for understanding patience, one of these amazing fruits of the spirit, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Somebody gave me a plaque in the last service that I thought was really funny. It, it said, uh, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. And I think that really typifies the way that many of us think. I, you know, if I ask for a hand raise, and I'm not going to, of who of us here today struggle with patience, just about every one of us would. I got a lot of comments this week with people saying, you know what, I love, joy, peace, yeah. But patience, it like puts it into a completely different category because it's a universal struggle among us. And I would say that even Christians probably struggle with patience more deeply and even more regularly than those who don't know Christ. And the reason I, that I would say something like that is because Christians tend to be passionate, conviction-oriented, let's-go-somewhere type of people, or at least we should be. And if you're that kind of person, if you're at all a person who has a spiritual vision, you're going to struggle at times with patience. And so I get it. I, I, I join you in that struggle, and I think we all do. But the, con the converse of this, the flip side of it is, is that patience is one of God's top nine fruits of the Spirit. 
It's appeared on God's top nine list of the things that he wants to see done in our souls that become so real that it actually becomes evident to those around us, which is what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, and patience. (laughs) And I'll also say, if you think this week's tough, wait till we get to next week, kindness. So just hang on for that one. I mean, I think that's actually harder than patience, if you ask me. Uh, But let's talk about patience. And, And you guys know how I tend to think. I tend to think linear. I tend to be a reductionist. Let's reduce things to their most easily understood. So in my study over the last couple of weeks on patience, the first thing I did is I said to myself and the Lord, let's cement, let's cement a biblical definition of what patience is. Because you see, I don't think the average Christian today really even knows how to define patience. What is it? Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines patience as calmness amidst difficulty. Calmness amidst difficulty. The only problem is, is that I know too many people, even many Christians, that are calmly impatient. You ever met somebody like that? I mean, I mean, they, they sort of stand there with their foot tapping, you know, and they're all calm on the outside, but inside they're going crazy. So I don't think you can get away with describing patience as a calm in the midst of the storm. I think it's deeper than that. Uh, the Greeks of Jesus' day had a different definition for patience. They uh, defined patience as a desperate acceptance of the circumstances and people around you, a desperate acceptance. And yet I don't really like that one either, only because I go, well, that just sounds awfully depressing, if you ask me. Almost like fatalistic, like I'm only going to be patient if I, in some desperate way, resign myself to my circumstances. I don't like that one either. So what is patience? How does the Bible uh, define patience? Let me give you a good working definition of what the Bible says patience is. And it's this. It's a delay in your life. It's a delay. Something's not moving fast enough in your life that requires you to know how to persevere. That's what patience is, a delay requiring perseverance. Whether on a small level, like being stuck in traffic or being in a line that's not moving as fast as you want it to, or on a big level, like with your kid who's not turning out as as quickly as you want him or her to, or a marriage that's not healing as fast as you want it to, or if you're a single person, a a spouse that you want God to deliver up that's not not being delivered up as fast as you want him or her to. Uh, That's the idea here. It's a delay that requires perseverance. Uh, That's what patience is at the end of the day. Now, why is this so? Why do we argue that this is biblically what patience is? I want to go back to the Greek with you for a few minutes. And and sometimes when I do this, people send me an email saying, you know what, the Greek is boring. Well, let let me give a quick editorial comment on that. The reason I teach you guys Greek words every now and then is because the New Testament 2,000 years ago was originally written in... Greek. It's the original language it was written in. And because we believe that God inspired the New Testament, it is an authoritative book come from him, his will to us. It's only perfectly inspired in the original language it was written in, right? Because everything else is a translation. Everything else is when scholars come along and they take the original Greek text and they convert it to English. And translations are very good. Without them, you and I would not have a Bible. But the pure New Testament was written in Greek. 
And so when I study for my sermons, I study it in the Greek. They teach you Greek and Hebrew in seminary so that I can be very clear on God and what he is saying. So the Greek word for patience that was written 2,000 years ago in the New Testament is the Greek word makrothumia. Uh, macrothumia. It appears about 25 times in the New Testament, and that's the word that we translate patience, forbearance, or long-suffering. Now watch this. It's actually a combination of two different Greek words. The Greek word macro, which means distant or far off, and the Greek word thumia, that means passion. Something that you're passionate about, that your desire is about. It was one of Aristotle's driving forces in life when you and I have a passion that's deep in our soul. And so when you put this word together, and I find this very fascinating, the word macrothumia means most literally a distant or far off passion. That's what's inherent in this Greek word that we translate patience. It pictures a passion or a goal that you have that is not close to being realized. It pictures a desirous end that you are not near in your life right now. And inherent in this is a waiting period then, a delay between where you are and what you want to see happen in your life. And so we, we drew the, or built this little um, set here on the stage. And, and this is a wonderful visual of what we're talking about when we're trying to understand macrothumia, this idea of a delay requiring perseverance that we call patience. Uh, you have over on the one end here our, our present state. So this is you. It's where God is right now. It, it's where you are. But then way over here on the other side, are the goals that you have in life. So you might have a goal to have financial independence or you might have a goal to have a career that fits your gifts and passions or you might have a goal to have a godly marriage that's healing and growing and that gives you joy and satisfaction. You might have a goal that your kids turn out pretty good and, and that they are loving and other-centered and, and find a good mate or spouse. You might have a goal that, that I have certain hobbies that I want to enjoy and be good at. And obviously, many people have a goal for, for health and long life. So life is filled with all these, these goals, these thumias, right? Isn't that what these are? They're the passions that we have uh, in life, so we'll put this over here. It's the passions that you have in life. The only problem is, now watch this, is that you are way over here. And the key to understanding the idea of patience is that there is a long delay at times in life between where you are and where your goals are. And that's the idea behind this Greek word macrothumia because it means that there is distance between you and your passions. And it's a distance, as we're gonna see in just a minute here, that requires perseverance or you're never going to have patience. You know what's also fascinating about this word? It appears about 25 times in the New Testament. Watch this. Uh, in, in a couple of the contexts, it's used in light of God to us. 
So it says in Romans 2 that God is patient with us when it comes to our repentance. That's actually rich because what God is saying is there's a great distance between where you are and your final repentance of some of the things in your life. And he's willing to be patient with you. He understands that distance. Isn't that a wonderful thing about God? Then this word is used at times between us to God. So in Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about the fact that Abraham waited patiently for the fruition of God's promises and how you and I need to wait patiently because sometimes there's a distance between where we are and the answers to our prayers. And so we are macrothumia. We are patient with God. And then obviously, this word is used mostly, however, in context of us to others, right? Because if God's patient with us and we've learned to be patient with him, then we are to be patient with those around us. That's patience, gang. Don't ever forget this. It's a delay that requires perseverance. And once you master that, you will have patience. Now, Given this definition that I believe is thoroughly biblical and goes way beyond Webster's or the Greeks of Jesus' day or whatever, obviously the question becomes, well, how do you and I acquire more patience in our daily experience? I mean, if patience is this delay that requires perseverance, how do we add that up into our own souls and lives in such a way that we actually become more patient? And in our time remaining, before we go to the communion table, I want to share with you four tried and true biblical to-dos that all have to do with this core definition of patience that will allow you to fan into flame the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. It's really important that you see it this way. Uh, in our video earlier, where they were dissing me about being a Browns fan, they were talking, Stephen Rustin were before that, uh, about the whole point of this series. And the whole point of this series is not a to-do list for you. The whole point of this series is to understand how the Holy Spirit can become operative and powerful in your life so that he creates these things in you. He makes you more loving and joyful and patient and kind and good and gentle and self-controlled. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. But there are some things that we can do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you four things that you and I can do to cooperate with the Spirit and be more patient. And here's the first one, and that is that we need to embrace the delay. We need to embrace the delay. In other words, and this is all some of you need to hear today to get started with patience, we need to recognize and honor the delay that exists between where you are right now and the goals that you have, recognize and honor the delay, actually embrace it by making friends with it. And so, I, and so that I'm clear here, what I'm asking you to do is that if you're here right now between where you were and, and, and where your goals are, you literally grab onto this rope. You embrace the delay, you grab onto it, and you honor it for what it is, and that is a delay that's gonna take some time when it comes to the fruition of your goals. In other words, chill out and recognize that life is all about delays at times and that you need to settle your soul to be okay with that. Otherwise, you're gonna drive yourself crazy. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 11 is one of these passages that has the word patience in it, macrothumia. And uh, listen to what it says in light of embracing the delay. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. 
Follow the logic being laid out here, gang. God wants us to be strengthened with his power and his might. And he wants us to be strengthened toward the end of having more patience. And as you and I have seen, the definition of patience, macrothemia, is all about delay. So I ask you, could it be that a huge part of his strengthening is to be able for for you and I to embrace the delay? Could it be that God wants to empower you and me to embrace the delay in our lives so that we might have the beginning, the birth pangs of patience in our lives? See, See, I think it is. And all I know is that whenever I've tried this, it tends to work. About six weeks ago, I decided that I was going to finally take up this game and learn to play it well. <laughs> Seriously. And so I, uh, I've been playing golf for 30 years. I play about five times a year. And for any of you who know anything about golf, if you play golf for 30 years, five times a year, you still stink at this game. And so I play Youth for Christ and Young Life, you know, rallies and things like that. And, you know, I go and, and just embarrass myself. I'm just, I'm not a very good golfer. And it's frustrating because I am athletic. I'm not uncoordinated. I did uh, football and track and, and wrestling and stuff. And so I should be able to play this game. So about six weeks ago, I, uh, I, I approached one of the dear members of our church named Duff, Duff Lawrence, and Duff's an old golf pro, and I, he's been after me for years to have him teach me golf, and I said, I'm ready, would you start teaching me golf? And it was actually the start of a wonderful journey. We met at a driving range, and I, I told Duff, that before I even picked up the club, I said, now here's my goal. I said, I, I just need you to get me to the point of playing bogey golf. For those of you who don't know golf, don't laugh. For those of you who don't know, bogey golf, bo- bogey golf is one over par. It will be a 90 uh, on a course that everybody else, the, the, the professionals are shooting 72. I said, I just want to get to the point of one over par, and that would be a respectable game, and maybe more people would invite me to their hoity-toity clubs. I said, so... so bogey golf was where I get to go. So, so Duff said, okay, I think we can get you there. He said, let me see what you got. So he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hit about 12 balls, just about a dozen balls, and, and let me see what you have after 30 years. So I, I, I took the club and I, and I hit it about 12 times at this driving range. And Duff is so wonderful. He's so kind. He's so patient. And, and he walked over to me and, and, and he put the club down and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, in all seriousness, he said, I just need to let you know that this is going to take some time. <laughs> and, and you don't want to get impatient in the process. And he went on to explain that after 30 years of cementing this awful swing that I have, he said, we're going to have to break it all down and, and we're going to have to build it all back up. And what was he saying there? I mean, for our analogies this morning, he was saying that there's going to be a delay in me getting to a bogey golf game, right? There's gonna be some distance between where I am now and where I get to go. And he was also saying you need to persevere and be patient through that distance. In fact, he said to me, he said, I don't want you playing any rounds of golf until I tell you that you can. And I said, well, that's a bummer. I said, because in six weeks, it was just this last Friday, I said, I got three friends coming in from my last church and I'm gonna be playing 18 holes of golf. He said, okay. He said, but I can just tell you by that point, we're gonna have broken down your swing. We've not built it back up yet. And if you thought you were bad before, look out. He said, so just be patient with yourself. 
It's fascinating. With this idea in mind, this idea of present state and goals and macrothemia distance and honoring, I, I did go out Friday, and it was actually an amazing experience. On the front nine at this club, I shot a 46. So for you golfers, I was one stroke off my bogey golf game, and I was so happy with myself. But again, I, I'm a good Cleveland Browns fan, so I know what it means to fall apart. And so, you know, on the second, second nine, True story. I said, okay, don't fall apart. Don't fall apart. I was like Dorothy trying to get away from Oz. You know, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Don't fall apart. And I shot a seven on hole number 10, par four. So now three over par. I shot a six on a par four on number 11. And then I shot bogey on number. But by then, I'm now six shots over par, three holes into the back nine. And let's just say that that was kind of prophetic with where that back nine was going. And I just fell apart. But you know, during that whole time, honestly, I, was, I mean, it's just golf at the end of the day anyways, but honestly, the whole time I'm going, it's okay. Why was it okay? Because of the delay. And because somewhere along the line, I needed to embrace the delay. Now, that's just a silly game of golf. Let's get really serious about it now. I wonder if this would work with you and your kid. Uh, you know, some of us are right at the place right now with our children where God has uh, said, you're going to need a lot of patience. I, I love my son deeply. When my son went off to college, he became a different guy. In fact, I've joked for years that when my son went off to college, my IQ dropped by 60. All of a sudden, I became the big dope who doesn't know anything. And, 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 and all I can tell you is the last four years have required some patience with me and him. It's, it's been a delay, and, and, and I need to honor that delay. See, here's what else I could do in that delay. I could fight it and say, I'm not going to honor that delay. I'm not going to embrace it. And in fighting it, I would do one of two things. I'd either ignore it or I could move on ahead despite the delay. And see, that's how some of you have functioned all your lives. You've actually become pretty successful business by saying, you know what? There is no delay for me, Jamie. I got my goals. I'm moving toward them. And I just plow through and I attain my goals. And that's how I deal with life. See, the only problem with that one is you might make money that way. <laughs> How's that work for your marriage? How has that worked with your children and your key relationships? How has that worked with God? Because I can tell you right now, in the more precious things of life, there is a built-in delay on things that we cannot control, like other people. And many divorces and many rebellious kids and many failed relationships with God are built upon the fact that we do not know how to be patient and honor the delay that exists in those scenarios. And if you treat it like a business contract, or how you would in some other areas of life, you will sabotage the whole thing because those things require patience. And the other fruits of the spirits, love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, these are all relational things that we are after in this series. And I've seen many, many people frustrate the process by not embracing the delay that is in front of them. And you're not being lazy when you do that. Some people immediately think, well, you know, if I, if I embrace the delay and I kind of stop and, you know, look around, then I'm just sort of being lazy. No, you're not. You're simply honoring what is. That delay is a part of life. The Bible affirms this. There is weeping in the night, but there is joy in the morning. So, hey, some of us are just in that weeping in the night part right now. There's a delay. 
And you're not being lazy in embracing it. You're actually honoring what is. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his uh, paraphrased version of the New Testament called the message. I put this in your outline. In paraphrasing Romans 8, he says at one point, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. See, I think some of us need to embrace that one today. You'd never tell a pregnant mother, well, hey, hurry it up, get things going. You know, you wouldn't say that. You would honor the fact, you might say, you get smacked. I mean, the reality is, is that there's a waiting period during pregnancy. And life patterns itself after that. But what happens during it? You're enlarged in the waiting. See, that's what Eugene Peterson is getting at. You're enlarged. You're made better. You're bigger. You're going to give birth to something. You're going to get to your goals. But you first need to embrace the delay. Now, once we have done that, and only once we have done that, we're now ready to move on to the second step in developing patience. And that is that while you are embracing the delay, just remember to simultaneously keep your focus on the goal. Keep your focus on the goal. In other words, the picture is not hard to to see, if you're right here embracing the delay in your life right now, where are your sights focused? Where they're focused on the goal, or as we'll see in a minute, what Paul the Apostle calls the upward call of God heavenward in your life. You're not focused back here. You're not focused down. You're focused ahead. And this is part of the patient's process, is that as you're embracing the delay, you're also keeping your sights on God into the future and to where he wants you. It's Philippians 3, verses 13 to 15. Paul the Apostle has certain things that are being delayed in his life. There's certain things spiritually that he wants and that he's pining after. So he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, there's a delay in front of me. There's a distance, a macrothumia. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And so we keep our focus on the goal. But you know, if you only stop with these two things, here's what you're gonna feel in your soul. There's still that doggone delay. <laughs> and you're still gonna get antsy and you're gonna be tempted to fight it and ignore it and move ahead and all that. So there has to be a third thing that God has for us, and thankfully there is. Once you embrace the delay, once you keep your sights uh, focused forward, you then also look for what God is doing in the process. Now, now this one's really, really rich. You look for what God might be doing. Now watch this, even in the midst of the delay. Even as you are waiting, it's not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting as you're waiting and saying, God, even though I'm at this spiritual bus stop, I know you're here with me. What else are you doing in my life if not giving me the goals that I want? Because there's gonna be a delay to those things, but God is still doing other things and it helps to recognize and see those things. 
Uh, one of the greatest delays in all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, is the delay that Israel went during her, underwent during her exile when she was waiting for God's deliverance. For those of you who know the Old Testament, you know what I'm talking about. Israel was the apple of God's eye, his chosen nation to show his glory and his strength. And yet because of their sin, he allowed warring nations to come in, first Assyria, then Babylonia, and then the Persians, and then eventually the Greeks, and then eventually the Romans. I mean, boom, 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 boom. And they took Israel away from her land. They deported them to other places. I mean, it's absolute exile. And it's a waiting game from that point on, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for God to come back and finally redeem Israel and bring her back to that chosen place. And much of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then all the minor prophets were written in response to this long delay and waiting game on God. And tucked away in the prophet Isaiah's prophecy, in Isaiah 49, 18, Isaiah has God, that's why it's in quote, God speaking to Isaiah to say this to the nation Israel, lift up your eyes and look around. In the midst of your delay, in the midst of embracing the delay and keep looking for God, lift up your eyes and look around. And then it goes on to say all the things that God has been doing and all the things that he's going to do as they trust him. And so what is God saying to you and I there? That there's gonna be times in life in which there is a long delay and that part of what you and I need to do in the process of waiting is to lift up our eyes and look around and in the midst of this, say what is God doing elsewhere in my life? He might not be giving me all my goals right now. He might not be giving me what I want. But if I know God, he's doing other things as well. As Michael Card sang about so well so many years ago in one of his songs, he says, there is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There's a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. See, for some of us, we forget that there's a joy in the journey. We forget that there's a light that we can love even while we're on our way. We forget that there's a wonder and wildness to God and that even though he might be giving us, not not be giving us what we want, he's still giving us something that we need in our very life. A few years ago, I was meeting with a a dear friend of mine who... uh, had just been diagnosed or come through a battle, actually, with a prostate cancer, a rather common male malady, at least more common than most people would realize. And his particular form of prostate cancer at that time was uh, very, very strong. It was one of the strongest types you can get that would surely metastasize if they had not caught it quickly. And we didn't know initially if they caught it quickly or not, so they did a bunch of tests, a full-body scan, and found out that, thankfully, this very, very aggressive prostate cancer had not gotten out of his prostate yet. But they needed to do something. So uh, they, they did a threefold uh, regimen upon him that was very brutal upon his body. They first took his prostate completely out, a prostatectomy. And then secondly, they zapped that whole region with radiation to burn any uh, residual cancer cells that might be there. And then the third thing they did was to put him on a drug regimen that would lower his testosterone to almost zero so that there would be no traveling, the theory was, uh, through that that hormone to other parts of his body. 
And he and I were meeting shortly after he went through this uh, brutal regimen upon his body, and he was now in a waiting period. Because for the next couple of years, he would have to go in for quarterly scans and, 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 and tests to see if it had traveled. And he and his, uh, his wife obviously uh, were in a big waiting game, waiting on God uh, to see what the results of all of this would be. And at one point when we were meeting shortly after this regimen that he had gone through, um, as his pastor, I said to him very much, I can remember, he's a very godly man. I said, uh, so how you doing? <laughs> How's your family doing? How are your kids doing? How are your grandkids doing? I mean, wh- 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 how are you going? He said, well, you know, the, the treatment went fairly well, and, and we're thankful for that. And he said, we are in kind of a waiting period right now. But then he said to me, he said, but I got to tell you, Jamie, uh, God has been just doing so many awesome things in the midst of this whole process. And because that can be such a trite little Christian thing to say, I mean, you'll learn after time that, you know, that will usually diffuse any pastor's questions, but not me. I looked at him and I said, like what? What is God doing in the process that has made it so wonderful? One of the first things he told me made me kind of laugh. Maybe it will for you. He said, well, he said, I got to tell you, I'm in my early 60s. And, 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 you know, before I had all this procedure, he said, even as a 60-year-old, man, I got to tell you, if a pretty woman walked by, my head would usually go like that. And, and, and then I'd start to think thoughts. But I immediately, as a godly man, would have to, you know, take my gaze away and say, come on, you're 60 years old. That girl's, you know, young enough to be my granddaughter. And, you know, I'm not going to be going down that road and that thought. And he said, but it'd be, you know, what Steve Arterburn called every man's battle. He said, well, I got to tell you, after what I've been through, there's nothing now when a pretty girl walks by. <laughs> he says, really? That desire is just gone. And you know what some men would have thought was just a terrible thing? He said to me in all seriousness, he said, I am glad that God has included that as part of the gift in this. He said, I, I just no longer have to worry about that. And he goes, I'm thankful to the Lord for that. I said, tell me there's more. He said, yeah, there's more. <laughs> He said, you know, at work, I, everybody's seen me go through these procedures, and, and this fellow actually is in the medical field, and he said, so we're all up on the technology and all of this, and he said, you know, at work, this has given me wonderful opportunity to give witness to my faith in Christ amidst a very scientific community, and, and I've had opportunities to share with plenty of people. He said, this has put me closer to my wife and my, my, my kid and my, my, my grandchildren, and, and he said, it's pulled me closer in my small group. And then he said, most of all, He said, you know, for years I've heard that passage in Philippians 1 where Paul says for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he said, now I know what that means. And he said, I'm not afraid to die. He said, I don't want to. (laughs) He said, because I'd like to still be here, but I'm not afraid to. He, He says, I know closer what that means. And he said, and if God were to take me, I I do long to be with my Savior in heaven. You see, what was my friend doing? He he was looking around in the midst of a rather long delay. He was looking around and saying, what else might God be doing? You see, some of us just don't do that very well. We're so focused on our problems and the issues, or even we're focused on the long delay ahead of us. You need to embrace the delay. But at the end of the day, we need to focus on the God who loves us. And here's what I do know about God. He's always up to something in your life. He is. It's just that many times we miss it. But if we will open up our eyes and look, I promise you, he is doing something. He is a God of silver linings. He is doing something that's going to give you joy as it gives him glory. 
And again, don't send me emails arguing me with about this. I mean, a gal came up after the last service and said, well, I'm in this horrible situation and this at work and this, and I don't see God doing anything. I said, well, I'm not in your situation, so I don't know, but I know God. And I know he loves you and I know he is good. And I've read the Bible and in the midst of the most catastrophic circumstances. Do you remember Lamentations? If you ever want to get depressed, read the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. It's Jeremiah's lament over the destruction of Israel. And in the first two and a half chapters, it's just lament after lament and after lament. He's walking through the rubble of his city. And halfway through chapter three, you know what Jeremiah says? He says, but you know what? His mercies are new every morning. There's hope in the midst of even the most destructive circumstances. That's a guy who knows how to look around and say when the going gets tough, the tough get faith-oriented. The tough focus on God and they see what he is doing. This is real stuff here, gang. This is for those of us who are ready to take God at his word and realize he has never left us high and dry, even in the midst of the delay. And if you can do this, and you can, you will have patience. And you'll be known as a patient person. Now, one last thought before we go to the communion table. And you guys know how I think. I'm a reductionist, but I'm also a realist. And here's my last thought. If all of this fails... If you fail to embrace the delay, if you fail to look forward, if you fail to see what God might be doing around you, as a believer in Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit living inside you, guess what? You have an ace in the hole, and it's the fourth thing you can do, and it's this. You trust and obey, for there is no, say it with me, other way. Only those of you who grew up in the church get this hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. What am I saying here? I I wouldn't have done this to you, but I I thought today I really could beat up on you if I wanted to. I could have just started this whole sermon by saying, here's the recipe for patience if you're a believer in Jesus who has the power of the living Holy Spirit inside of you. The recipe is do it. I think I've told you guys this story before, but I can remember years ago I was asking, right when uh, I was asking a dear friend of mine when I first became a Christian who was just a tough, older Christian guy, I asked him one day to pray for me but I was having trouble having patience with my parents. And I'll never forget, he looked at me, and some of you heard this story before, and he looked at me and said, I'm not going to pray for that. Because patience is a matter of obedience. You have the spirit inside you. Do it and stop whining about it. I didn't go to him very much for prayer after that. <laughs> But there is some merit to what he is saying. Let's be mature about it. Look at one last verse. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It says, be patient, macrothumia. It's actually the verb form, macrothumeo. Be patient with everyone. You know what blows me away about this passage, and it gives some teeth to this last point, is that this phrase, be patient, and some of you already caught it, some of you English majors, is an imperative phrase, meaning it's a command. It's in the imperative tense in the original Greek, which means it's not a request. (laughs) It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Now, the question becomes, how could God command us to be patient? It's easy. His spirit lives inside of you. As we saw in Colossians 1.11, he has strengthened you with all power and all might through his glorious strength for patience. 
And so at the end of the day, if all the things that we've talked about today don't work, and I believe they will, I believe they're biblical, we embrace the delay, we look forward to what lies ahead, we look around at what God is doing, all those things have created patience in me over the years. At the end of the day, they don't work for you. Here's your ace in the hole. You have the ability to trust and obey. It's an obedience issue at the end of the day. So your kid drives you nuts this afternoon, be patient. Your, your wife getting on your nerves, be patient. You go to work tomorrow and it's not your day, be patient. Uh, your team doesn't win the Super Bowl tonight, <laughs> be patient. Because uh, here's the reality. In the desperate moment that you need it, you can. And, and just so you know, and last thought on this, I do this all the time. I mean, I'm driving down the road. I'm trying to embrace the delay and look forward and, you know, look for what God is doing. But there's times where I need patience a lot quicker than I can process all that stuff. How about you? And so in those moments when somebody comes in my office and all my face about something going on here at the church, I don't sit there and go, okay, embrace the delay, look forward to what God's doing, you know. And I don't do that. I just sit there and go, God, I need to be patient right now because I'm about ready to clock this Christ follower. So give me patience. Give me patience. You know what God does? He's so good. I, I can tell you, I mean, heaven will bear witness this. He does that in my soul. And when that person leaves, I say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be patient with him or her. See, it really does work. He loves you. He's going to give you strength for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that your grace is the kind of grace that teaches us things about how we can live life as we follow you, even develop these fruits of the Spirit in our souls. But it's also the grace, God, that as we just ended on, can give us immediate power and strength in our desperate time of need to be patient. God, there's not one of us here today or at Cactus or at Mountain Valley or at the venue or at Chapel that does not need patience. So help us, Lord, to be the kind of people who are journeying on in that journey. And when we confront that delay, God, may we persevere through it, showing patience to those around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.